already a great morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be now at the next part after the, the soils, the, the parable of the soils. Do you remember that? You, we spent two weeks there, la, uh, the last uh, couple weeks in this parable. And now we're going to kind of be moving through, although the theme will kind of remain the same. And I'm thinking that this will be a logical kind of next step for us as we kind of processed last couple weeks. How are we hearing the Word of God? How are we doing listening to the Word of God? And now we're going to go beyond that because uh, Jesus' parables are now kind of showing, well, what happens in the lives of the people who really do hear? You want to live a fruitful life, don't you? Would anyone here suggest otherwise? Uh, Would anyone here say, well, I'm not too interested in being productive as a Christian? That wouldn't be the desire, that wouldn't be the mindset of a believer who's been redeemed to sit back and say, I'm kind of indifferent to whether or not God uses me. You want... Christian, you want that experience of leading your neighbor to the Lord. Uh, Some of you maybe have longed for that prodigal child to call you on the phone in tears asking for forgiveness in repentance. Maybe you want to see how you can be part of some big work of God and the things that he's doing you maybe, maybe you want your church to be bursting at the seams with revival, and, and you're a big part of that. And yet sometimes these things we desire escape us. The phone call never comes. The neighbor we shared the gospel with doesn't really care to listen. He says, oh, that's good for you, but I got my own life and my own way. You show up to church and everything is kind of underwhelming. And yet we want to be part of something big and important and valuable. We want to be productive and fruitful. And sometimes we just look around and we go, well, what in the world? It just seems like there's really not that much going on in my life. And sometimes we could even get to the point where we say, Lord, well, what's what's going on in my life? (laughs) Am I bearing any fruit? Am I part of anything important? Which is more common, the person who responds to the gospel presentation with genuine repentance or the person who responds with a kind of tepid indifference? Have you ever done this? You've shared the gospel with great hope. You've begun a ministry with great excitement. And then there's only been on the other side frustration at the lack of response or the lack of interest. You've invested time and energy into a relationship. You hope to do spiritual good, and nothing comes out of it. Expectations are dashed, hopes are crushed, and you're discouraged. Ever happened to you? The desire for ministry is way up here, and the hopes are way up here, and the reality is somewhere down here. I want to us to to get into the text, because I think this is what the disciples might have been starting to experience. They got all excited because the crowds were coming, but then they began to realize that maybe the crowds didn't really 
want to know Jesus. They just wanted his power. And then the actual leaders of Israel begin to reject Jesus. One by one, each of them are making claims that Jesus could not possibly be the true Son of God. And they're accusing him of all kinds of law-breaking through chapter 2. His own family in chapter 3 thinks he's crazy. And then the leaders of Israel up the ante a little bit and they say, not only is he a lawbreaker, he must be possessed by Satan, chapter 3, verse 22. And if you're one of the disciples, you're starting to realize, well, maybe this isn't going to happen the way I thought. Uh, He's talking about a kingdom. Jesus is preaching the kingdom. I thought Jesus was the king and we're going to usher in the kingdom. And then he tells these parables about who's going to actually respond to the message of the kingdom. And only one in four respond rightly. If you're doing the stats, that's not really good. That's not a lot. 25% might hear it. The rest reject it in various ways. In other words, I think the disciples might be a little bit uncertain now. They're, They're wondering what in the world should we expect. And now in this parable, as he's begun teaching about his ministry of the word, remember, the parable of the seeds and the sower is the story of him coming with the word of God. He's scattering out and he's describing that different people respond to his message in different ways. Some will outright reject it. Immediately, they don't even really want it. Satan comes in and snatches the word away. Others, they are excited about it. It sounds great. They want to follow, but then as soon as it gets hard, they ditch it. Others accept it, but then over time, other cares, other concerns choke out the word, and so they end up falling away. But there are some good soils. Uh, These are the people who hear the word, they embrace it, and they uh, hold on to this word so deeply that it shapes them, that it conforms their thinking and conforms their heart to be aligned with the truth. And Jesus says in verse 20 of chapter 4 that these are the people who go on to bear extraordinary amounts of fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold in chapter 4, verse 20. And so Jesus, I think, is teaching these, and the disciples are going, well, how does, if only, you know, a few people are going to hear this. If so many people are rejecting us, what should we expect? I wonder if in their minds they're, they're starting to wonder about this great kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about. I want to read the following section. I want us to read this, and I want you to see, as we read, I want you to note how Jesus is reframing their expectations about the nature of the kingdom. And as we read, it's very helpful for us, church, it's very helpful for us to come to an understanding of how kingdom ministry works, all right? This is going to reshape some of our expectations for how we think the Word of God will work in the hearts of men and how our own ministries actually work. Let's read verses 21 to 34. 21. Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has 
will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces it by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Can you see what Jesus is doing? Can you tell how he's reshaping, reframing their expectations for how kingdom ministry works? Can you see it? Uh, I like the, the little phrase. I've been using this for a while, and I think it captures the mindset or the work of ministry that Jesus is describing. Is describing how kingdom ministry advances, how gospel ministry grows, the phrase we've thrown around here for a while is the phrase incremental revival. I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. The text is reshaping the disciples' expectations away from the big, the extraordinary, the ministry that's a spectacle, and he's moving their attention to the ordinary, the obscure that which seems insignificant. Uh, This ministry, uh, the kind of ministry he's describing is incremental in the sense that it's small, it seems insignificant, it is incremental in that it's short steps of obedience. Nothing extravagant, nothing to write home about, nothing to get the attention of the community, it's all incremental. But revival refers to the reality that these small acts of faithful witness, these small seemingly insignificant acts of sowing the word, actually lead to life, revival, something great and glorious over time, incremental revival. This is kind of a, a good way to think of how we as a church think of ministry. We prayerfully give ourselves to the small, the obscure, the kind of ministry work that seems insignificant, being faithful to witness the Word of God to others and then trust that over time, God will use it for His great and glorious purposes. This is what we need, Grace Rancho. We don't want to be a flash in the pan in 2020, right? We don't want to be a flare-up of excitement that lasts a little bit. We want to be plodding faithfully year in, year out, decade in, decade out. We want to be plodding forward with the Word of God and growing in health together, the whole church counseling the hurting together, 
equipping disciples together, training leaders together, sending teams together, sending missionaries together. And if we are to move in that direction, it is incremental. It is incremental revival. It is small movements of faithfulness. That is how Jesus describes the kingdom work advances. This is how the gospel grows. We need to shape our expectations according to the word of God. So let's imagine. We're all Jesus' disciples. Uh, I guess we don't need to imagine that. That's true. We're a church, right? We're following Jesus. We're sitting around Jesus. We're listening to him. And we say, Jesus, I want to learn from you. I want to be fruitful. I want to have a ministry that you use for your glory, for the gospel purposes, for the for the glory of your name and for the advance of the kingdom purposes here. I want to be a part of that. But I feel so disappointed by my ordinariness. Man, have I felt that, have you? Everything I do is just so ordinary. I want to be used by God to do extraordinary things for his glory. I want, to, I want God to use our church. I want to be a part of his great and glorious purposes. How do we remain encouraged when we share the gospel again and again and it seems to be hitting a brick wall? We pray and we pray and it seems to be not answered. We work and we labor and there seems to be no fruit. How do we persevere? I think we can point out three realities of this kind of kingdom ministry uh, that help us and encourage us to move forward and to remain faithful and even to be encouraged. I hope this morning you're encouraged to plod forward in small acts of faithfulness because I think as Jesus reshapes our expectations, we're actually going to be encouraged to press on even in the midst of seemingly very insignificant work. Let's take a look at what incremental revival actually looks like. Let's start with here. Incremental revival, first, it starts when Christ's disciples truly hear the word of God. We get this from verses 21 to 25, coming straight off the parable of the sower. And what he says here, let's reread it again, let's revisit it. He said to them, verse 21, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Okay, now let's just tie this into the previous parable. In the previous parable, the seed is the word, right? And the soils are the hearts of people. Now he switches the metaphor, and now light is the word of God, and we are to be like lamps. We're not soils anymore, we're like lamps. Now, if you have a lamp, I used this illustration with my kids last night, I imagine, uh, imagine if we get this lamp, and daddy brings home a lamp, we got this really nice lamp, and it really shines really bright, and I bring it in, I say, hey, we're going to use this lamp in the house, and I got the perfect place for it, it's going to go right under your bed. And all the kids go, that'd be silly. Why would you ever do that? I said, well, why is that silly? And you know all the answer to that. Why is that silly? Because if you put a lamp under a bed, it can't shine. And so in the previous parable, the seed is meant to bear fruit. You see that in verse 20. In this section, he uses the same kind of teaching. He's teaching the same point, but now he's using a different illustration. He's using the lamp and its shine. A lamp, just like a seed is supposed to bear fruit, a lamp is supposed to shine. Don't put it under a bed. Don't put it under a basket. Put it up on a stand. 
And then he says, verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. In other words, the truth that God has been teaching is intended to be revealed. God does intend to reveal his truth, his gospel, through his preaching. It's not here just to be hidden all the time. The intent of the word is to be spread. And so if you connect this with the previous section about fruit bearing, this is what Jesus is saying, is that those who hear the word ought to be those who spread the word. Do you hear that? Those who receive the light are to be the ones who shine the light. Those who get the seed planted in their hearts are to be those who sow the seeds in the hearts of others. They bear fruit. Verse 23 If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What does that mean? This is kind of a a confusing saying. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. The measure you use. What is he talking about? The measure you use is the kind of evaluation you put on the word of God. If you measure it rightly, that is, if you measure it according to its worth, you value it the way you're supposed to. If you measure it rightly, you evaluate it rightly, you love the word the way you're supposed to, and you receive it the way you're supposed to, it will be measured back to you. In other words, you will bear fruit in accordance to your ability to hear the word. The more you hear it, and the more you accept it, and the more you apply it, that will be resulting in a life transformed by it, and your life will begin to take on the characteristics that the word says it should. And so if you evaluate the word very highly, this this high value of the word of God will begin to shape your very own life. And then he goes on to say, and still more will be added to you. In other words, if you, by the Holy Spirit's power, by faith, are receiving the word because you value it so highly, it'll begin to shape you, but even shape you beyond just natural means. It will shape you supernaturally because the Spirit's working in that. You'll be, the value of the word will be added even beyond what you might think to your life. You'll be bearing fruit, as Jesus said in the previous section, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. For to the one who has, verse 24 there, or 25 there, for to the one who has, more will be given. If you have ears to hear and you're valuing the word rightly, you're going to keep getting more out of it, more out of it, more out of it. The people who hear it more, are able to hear it more and able to apply it more and they get more out of it. They bear more fruit. But look what he says, and from the one who has not even that which he has will be taken away. That is to say, the person who actually is not valuing the word of God, maybe they're hearing all the sermons and they're coming to church Sunday after Sunday, but they don't actually value it. They don't measure it very highly and so they don't apply it to their lives. Even what he thinks he has, that which he thinks he knows he actually ends up having nothing. It's taken away. The knowledge that he has is not true knowledge because he doesn't actually apply it to his life. And so this idea of how God's kingdom works, it starts with this, with disciples who have ears to hear. They pay attention to what they're hearing from the word of God. And they value the word so highly, so greatly. They prioritize it in their life. And as a result of that, they bear fruit. Incremental revival starts as we hear the Word of God. I think that's, that point was made clear the last couple of weeks, right? I mean, that is so clear throughout the parable of the soils, is we must hear the Word of 
God. We must hear it, like, be like lamps that, that take it in and we start shining because the word of God is so in our life it starts flowing out. And that leads us to the second point that Jesus gets at about how the kingdom advances, how incremental revival happens. Incremental revival continues as Christ's disciples spread his word. That's our second point. First, they hear the word. They take it in. And it begins to shine in their lives. And then they spread it. They shine. Or they bear fruit. Pick your metaphor. The revival that God intends, the way the gospel grows, the way the kingdom advances, is first we hear and then we spread. Any person who truly hears, Jesus is saying, now is involved in spreading, Jesus is saying. The, the one who takes in the light then shines the light. The one who receives the seed bears the fruit that has more seeds in it. Incremental revival continues as Christ's disciples spread the word. And he continues this reality. Look at verse 26. He, he wants to show you this reality, uh, that those who hear it actually begin to act upon what they've heard. Look at verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Uh, he, he sleeps, and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Let's just pause right there. He's trying to communicate, Jesus here, and he's trying to communicate the, the nature of the kingdom, right, to his disciples, right? They, they need to come to understand the nature of the kingdom's advance. And so Jesus is going to use a picture. He's going he's to describe the nature of the growth of the kingdom. And he says, it's a guy scattering seed on the ground. Underwhelming, right? It's just a guy sowing seed. He sows the word. If we understand this in the context of the previous sections, he is a normal guy. He's taken the word of God, and he's throwing it out into the fields. I want to stop and point this out. I think this is very important, and we're not going to get through the whole couple parables here because I want to zero in on how this works. This will basically turn into a two-part uh, series. Uh, the, the kind of revival that Jesus is describing here, it, it has this implication. Every Christian, <laughs> every true believer who has heard God's word and who has accepted it in their heart and is, is being conformed by the word of God, every single person now is turned into a light shiner or a seed sower, and their ministry then is described as seed sowing. You see that? This is how the kingdom grows. People sow seeds on the ground. That is to say that even at this very early point in ministry, Jesus is describing that his disciples are going to be involved in spreading his word. That Jesus will come speaking truth. He will be teaching his disciples, and his disciples will then be spreading this truth first to Israel and then to all nations. They are to take the word that Jesus teaches and spreads it. This is their calling. Turn over to Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 34 and 35. 
This is a more famous passage that we've all heard before. Jesus, it says, he calls the crowd to him and with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now get this. Whoever would save his life will lose it. You try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He's calling all disciples to this kind of lifestyle. Get this. There's not different classes of disciples of Jesus Christ. You got some over here who are all out giving their lives up in full abandon for the gospel and for Jesus Christ. But over here, you got some who would rather not. Jesus is describing the very nature of following him is all in. Take up your cross, get ready to die, follow Christ, give up your life to this. Give up your life for what? For my sake, Jesus says, and the gospel's sake. Your life, disciple of Christ, is given up to Jesus Christ and given up for the sake of the gospel. That is to say, all of us are seed sowers. All of us are giving our lives to follow our Lord and spread his gospel. We give up our lives for this. We lay down our lives for this. This is what we're all called to do. Jesus taught it in Mark 1:17 when he said, "Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men." At the end of Matthew chapter 28, "Go make disciples of all nations." We're called to be seed sowers. The very nature of following Jesus is that we help others follow Jesus. We are all to be involved in the verbal speaking of the word of truth to other people. This is how the kingdom grows. Look at this. I'm just going to give you a smattering of texts in the New Testament that support this idea. I already gave you Mark 1, where Jesus tells us we're going to be fishers of men, or Matthew 28, where we're called to make disciples. How about Ephesians 4.15? You could jot these down, and you can maybe review them later. Ephesians 4.15, the church, it says, we are to be, rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way. Speaking truth, we grow. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The church is speaking truth to one another. Fathers are raising their children in instruction. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Romans 15, 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct, or sometimes that's translated counsel, one another. Hebrews 3, 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, exhort one another every day. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. In other words, can you see it? Text after text after text is saying 
that true disciples speak truth, fathers to their children, church members to one another, Christians to unbelievers. We are all seed sowers. We are all investing our lives into the spreading of the seed of the truth of the gospel. Let me summarize. Every Christian, regardless of gifting, every Christian has the great privilege, the joy, and the responsibility to be involved in the scattering of the seed of God's Word. Jesus has spoken. He's sown the seed in our own hearts. We, by the grace of God, are good soil. We have heard it. We've repented. We've accepted it. Now we're moving forward in obedience. And now what do we do? We sow that seed into the lives and the hearts of other people. Every Christian is different. No one will do this the same. We all have different talents, gifts, abilities, but we are all together laboring to spread the gospel. It has been said, a Christian without a missionary heart is an anomaly. Let me ask you, have you considered that this is your ministry? Uh, Have you fallen into some of these false paradigms of ministry. So often we can think of ministry purely in the terms of the tasks I do or the works of service, and these are all great, and we commend them, and we want even uh, those of you who are doing it to excel still more. These are great things of valid forms of service. However, sometimes it can happen that the person who's so investing in the work of their hands and serving others, they can say, well, I'm not really a verbal type. And so I don't really have to sow seed. I'll leave that to others. And I might reply by saying that, sure, you might not be gifted to preach. Sure, you might not ever lead a small group. But the Lord has given you a mouth, hasn't he? And the Lord has given you the truth. And so in the way that he has given you, you have this joyful privilege to speak to others Words that build up and encourage and help them follow Jesus. All have been called to this. Jesus is talking about, just to be clear, verbal ministry. He's talking about people who hear, believe, and speak. You say, how does this happen? It might be hard to visualize. The most obvious way this happens in a church is the preacher gets up and he preaches the gospel. And the seeds are sown right there. The preacher gets up and he shares the gospel message. He shares the message that God has made all things for his glory. The message that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he shares the message that though they have sinned and deserve God's righteous wrath, God has acted in love to save his people He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, and to raise from the dead. He's alive right now, and he offers free forgiveness of sins to all who who repent and believe. The preacher stands up, he preaches that gospel, and whoever responds like a good soil and receives it is saved. But that's not the only way it happens. You know how else it happens? Let me just give you a list of ways it actually is happening in our church. I'm going to list off things that actually have happened In our church, people are doing this. They are spreading seeds. So I'm going to use our church family to illustrate this point, okay? 
One church member shares a sermon with her non-Christian friend and then asks if she would be willing to catch up and they can talk about it and she can answer any questions she might have. What'd she do? She just sowed seed into that person's heart. Some of you have invited visitors into your homes after church. You shared a meal. You asked about their relationship with God. You talked about what God's doing in your own heart. You encouraged them. You sowed seed. I've seen men and women getting here early to pray together. I've seen people getting here early to look at the Word of God, to study it together, think about what it means for their life, pray over it, and then walk out of the room trying their best to now obey it. That's seeds being scattered one to another. I've heard about families that are building relationships with their neighbors and they're trying to uh, do all they can to share the gospel with them, even initiating one-to-one Bible reading opportunities with them or inviting them into their home, praying for them, inviting them to church. That's been happening. An older Christian who's been walking with the Lord for a long time invites a new Christian into his home. They talk through what it's like to follow Jesus. They pray for one another. Seeds are sown. A father opens up the Bible with his children around the dinner table, prays that his children receive the seeds of the word by faith. A mother comforts her struggling daughter by reminding her of the comfort she should have and can have in Christ. One couple struggling in their marriage and they reach out to another couple and they start meeting together to help each other encourage, be encouraged in the word. Both couples end up ministering to one another. A church member's mother dies, and that church member is asked to speak at the funeral, and he stands up and shares the gospel with several unbelievers, more seeds scattered out. A growth group puts together a generous gift for some unbelieving neighbors who just had a baby. They include gospel tracts, and they invite them to church. These are just a handful. There are countless more. Church, be encouraged that the way God describes ministry is not in the great, extravagant, hugely noticed programs, but it's in these small acts of faithfulness where the Word is just being sown in these lives, in these relationships, in small, obscure ways. Church, we are seed sowers it's not just evangelism it's every time we hear the word and we give it away to other people who need it to help them follow jesus it's happening right now it'll happen after the sermon as we sit around and discuss it it'll happen throughout the community this week in growth groups it'll happen in one-on-one meetings it'll happen with families around dinner tables it'll happen with children at their bedside This is how incremental revival happens. This is how the kingdom grows. It's when all, all of Christ's disciples are saying, this is my calling to spread the word of God to others in small ways. You may never get in the pulpit and you may never lead a growth group and that's okay. But you might be an encourager. You might be a counselor, a truth teller. Some of you have probably heard of William Carey. You ever heard of William Carey? He's called the father of modern missions. Before him, though, was a less popular man. I always 
giggle a little bit when I hear his name. Count von Zinzendorf, unfortunately. But he was the founder of a group that's called the Moravians. The Moravians were an incredible group. There weren't that many of them, uh, but they were remarkably fruitful in sending missionaries out around the world. Some went to the Caribbean, some went to North and South America, others went to the Arctic, some to Africa, some to the Middle East, uh, others to India. They were remarkably fruitful. Several of these people who were in the Moravian group ended up being sent out and scattering with the Word of God. One historian kind of reflecting on what made them so remarkably fruitful kind of located two reasons. First, they were deeply committed to pray for the evangelization of the world. Second, get this, they were the first, quote, group in modern, or first modern group of Christians to fully recognize that the missionary enterprise was the primary work of all Christians, not just a few select specialists. You catch that? Why were they so fruitful? Because they got the vision of what Jesus is describing here, that the seed sower is the ordinary Christian, that the kingdom advances by ordinary, no-name, farmer-like people who just go around sowing seed. You don't have to be a specialist. You don't have to be particularly gifted. You just have to sow seed. That's what the parable is getting at. How many churches have drifted away from these two priorities? Pray that people get saved. Pray for the evangelization of the world. And then just sow seed. Get everybody invested in sowing seed. We get so caught up into the programs and the events. This is ministry. This is the, Jesus is teaching. This is how the disciples were, in, were encouraged to think about the advance of the kingdom. Just think about this. You hear the word, you bear fruit, and you're a seed sower. The, the fruit of your life is that you sow seeds. You just sow seeds. Small seeds, insignificant acts. No fanfare. Done in obscurity. No big applause for you as you do it. You're just faithful. Here's our third point related to that. This kind of kingdom advance, this kind of incremental revival seems insignificant. It seems insignificant. Look back at verse 26. The kingdom of God is like the rose parade on New Year's Day. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. No. The kingdom of God is like a great army advancing. Is that what verse 26 says? No, it's not. The kingdom of God is like a guy throwing some seeds at the dirt. That's what it's like. It's not significant. Verse 31, the kingdom of God is like a grain of a mustard seed. This tiny, insignificant, unnoticed seed. Really small, insignificant, hidden and all he does is he sows it. In other words, friends, get this about your ministry, the, the, your, the way God wants to use you. All of this that he's describing is so, just so ordinary. There's nothing extraordinary about it. And it seems insignificant. And there's no quick results. 
There's no immediate returns. The kingdom of God is not a slot, slot machine. You put one in and you get it out. You get no immediate payback. There's no fanfare. There's no crowd cheering you on. The sower just sows the seed. It seems insignificant. Listen, church, you want to get faithful and be a part of something glorious, this glorious work that God is doing in the world, the glorious advance of his gospel purposes as, as the kingdom and its influence expands. You want to be a part of that? Get ready to invest your life into things that really seem insignificant. Your work's going to feel insignificant. Don't let that discourage you. Be encouraged that if you've been discouraged, the normal, ordinary, insignificant stuff is the meat of how the gospel advances. That's what Jesus is teaching here. You're going to try to sit around the table with your family, and you're going to try to open up your Bible, and your kids are all going to be sitting there, and one of them's going to burp or something. It's like a law of science, I tell you. It's like fourth law of thermodynamics. It's like you sit down, you open the Word, there's going to be a distraction. And it's going to send you down a whole different road. And you're going to go, oh, well, what did that do? That accomplished nothing. That accomplished nothing. You're going to share a tract with your neighbor, and you're going to go, oh, this is great. This is an awesome opportunity. I gave the gospel to my neighbor, and that tract's going to sit there, un- sit there totally ignored on his shelf. You're going to get an opportunity to share the gospel with a guy at the gas station, and you're never going to see him again. And you're going to have no idea what in the world that guy did with it. Or you're going to have an opportunity to share your testimony at some group at church. Or you're going to spend some weeks reading through the book of Ephesians with another church member. Or you're going to volunteer to teach teach in Sunday school with some of our children as soon as we get back inside. You're going to make an effort to talk about what you're learning with your friend. You're going to try to initiate a prayer, some prayer after the service with your brother or your sister. And you're going to walk away and you're going to say, what in the world did that accomplish? Did anything happen? It's all going to feel so insignificant. And you might be tempted to be frustrated. And you're going to be tempted to think, none of this matters. And I want to just point you back to this parable. It does seem insignificant. It does seem like nothing's happening. You do sow the seed, and if you come back and look at the seed tomorrow, it's still just dirt, nothing there. Jesus is teaching us about expectations, expectations for ministry. The gospel advances through things we think are insignificant. Mark that. Don't forget it. The gospel grows. The kingdom advances through ordinary seed-sowing Christians who often do not get to see the fruit of their labor. We were talking before the service began about how last year it rained so hard out here during the winter. I, I remember when it was raining, how the, the, the floods kind of coming down the sides of the streets were so much in certain places that it was overflowing the curb and getting onto the sidewalks, and I was amazed at that. Um, you think about this, church. Those kinds of rainstorms aren't caused by a single raindrop, are they? It's not one big raindrop that falls from the sky. I actually looked it up, just if you're interested. A, a rainstorm 
that covers one square mile drops about one and a half trillion raindrops. One and a half trillion raindrops in one square mile. Say, why are you talking about that? One raindrop doesn't flood a city. One raindrop doesn't cause a storm. One raindrop isn't very significant, but a trillion raindrops is highly significant. Every time, church, the word that God has given you in the scriptures comes out of your mouth. You're speaking the truth to someone else in love. A word of encouragement, a word of counsel, a word admonishing, a word of warning, a word to build up, a word to clarify, a word to stir up. Every single time that that little word flows out, it's like another raindrop falls. And as the church commits to letting God speak through them, as they speak the truth in love, the floods begin to fall. And God does a great work. And at the end of it, as we look back, we say, wow, God is doing an amazing thing. But all along the way, we hardly even notice because every little act seems so insignificant. Not a single raindrop is powerful, but the power comes in the fact that they're constantly falling and there's trillions of them. Here's what Jesus is saying. That little conversation you had with your neighbor, that subtle encouragement you gave your spouse, that hospitable welcome you gave to the visitor, that little tract you handed to your friend, that time reading scripture around the table, all of those tiny acts of faithfulness are like little raindrops, and the more those things happen, all the drops begin to fall, and God is bringing a shower of His grace down upon us through His Word. It all seems insignificant, but Jesus is using it to advance His kingdom. One of our members, as a teenager, didn't know Christ. One of her teachers took interest in her and one of her friends and took her aside one afternoon and shared the gospel with her and in that moment it didn't make any impact on her not at all years later she reflected back on it in a particularly difficult time and the good news came back to her and struck her like lightning and she was reminded of the message of God's grace and salvation and forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God And it came back to her and it convicted her and it drew her to repentance and faith. This was during a membership interview that I got to hear this story. And so I asked the question, I said, okay, wait, so that teacher who shared the gospel with you, does she know you're a Christian now? She goes, no. She has no idea. I haven't seen her in years. See, that's often the way the work is going to be, church. Tis the season for sowing the seed. It's not harvesting yet. God in his grace will bring that in due time. But now's the day for harvesting. In church, we need to be a church of sowers. We're going to finish this and see how God brings about the growth as we finish these two parables. But I want to encourage you that though this all seems insignificant, it's very simple. It's not extravagant. We hear the word We sow the word, and we do it in ordinary, insignificant ways, and this is what God does to advance 
his gospel. Let's pray. So, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged. Lord, as we're reminded that we are just seed sowers, and we're reminded that your kingdom advances in very ordinary ways, nothing extraordinary. Lord, we pray that we would all be encouraged to jump into this incremental revival, the work of the ministry, sowing seeds of encouragement, seeds of counsel, seeds of truth in one another's lives. And Lord, that we would just plod along in faithfulness like a farmer waiting for the harvest, knowing that it will come if and when you decide it should come. So Lord, I pray, we pray together that you would conform us to these truths, teach these truths, write these truths deep on our hearts that we might be a faithful church. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.